Sentire Media. Hello you. This is a history of Italy. Episode 111, Joanna of Naples, teenage queen with a boring husband, 1326 to 1345. Before we start, a quick announcement. When Napoleon led Boulogne for a year, Zachary Davis, Jane Redfin, Benjamin Jacobs, I'm Eric Marcus, Dan McManamy, Try and I, Free, Redred Lynch, Susan Archery, Alex Clifford, BT Newberg, I'm David Crowther, and I, Liz Covard, will be speaking alongside 40 other great content creators. Seven, 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 this will be an event that you don't want to miss. Intelligent Speech is back. Intelligent Speech is an online conference dedicated to connecting the best independent educational content creators with their listeners. This year's Intelligent Speech conference will be held on Saturday, April 24th, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, or for our friends across the Atlantic, 3 p.m. London Time. Tickets will be $30, but are available for only $20 as an early bird special. You can get them online at intelligentspeechconference.com slash shop. That's correct. Intelligent Speech is back, and those crazy, wonderful people at Intelligent Speech have invited me to speak at the conference. So, head on over to intelligentspeechconference.com and get your tickets now and while you're checking out use the promo code italy that's intelligentspeechconference.com and as you check out use the promo code italy see you there in the last two episodes we saw the rise and fall of Cola di Rienzo, who became the ruler of Rome, let the power get to his head, and then had everything come crashing down on him. Among the various things he did, we mentioned that he reached out to the other rulers of the Italian peninsula to see about getting a federation together under, of course, the leadership of Rome and consequently his own. Very few answered the call, although the Kingdom of Naples did. They even asked him to decide on a succession crisis that the kingdom was undergoing. Here is the background to that situation. Ever since the year 1309, the Kingdom of Naples, which included all of southern Italy but not Sicily, had been ruled by King Robert, also known as Robert of Anjou, since his family was originally from that area of modern-day France. Now, as you know, among the tasks of a medieval ruler, there was the very important one of securing a male heir, and Robert had managed to do this. Indeed, 
Not only did he have Charles, who would come to be known as Charles the Illustrious, but Charles himself even managed to further extend the line when Martino, Martin, was born. Charles also had a daughter, Joanna. Now we've been through all that, you can forget all the boys and just focus on Joanna, daughter of Charles, son of King Robert. She was born in 1326. Her father died in 1328, and her brother soon after. Among the possible claimants to the throne, there was also another branch of the Angevin family, the rulers of Hungary. However, King Robert, in 1330, when Joanna was only four years old, moved to secure her as the heir to the throne of the Kingdom of Naples, which at the time was called the Kingdom of Sicily, but never mind that confusion, let's just call it the Kingdom of Naples. Before we go any further, we have to make the observation about Joanna that unfortunately we always have to make for medieval women. History for far too long was written by men, often religious men, fixated on the idea that women were the root of all evil and the culprits of man's fall from the grace of God. Now, let's say Joanna was not a nun, but many sources make her out to be practically a prostitute, and not just medieval sources. If you read the Italian journalist Indro Montanelli, who died in 2001, he is very much focused on the fact that many men of many different social extractions were no strangers to Johanna's bed. Then again, if you consider that Montanelli was one of the many Italian soldiers who took an African child bride of 12 years old during the fascist invasion of northern Africa, then he can take his moral compass, which is strongly askew, and put it in a dark place for safekeeping. Joanna grew up under the influence of two women mainly. The first was her step-grandmother, Sancha of Mallorca, a very strongly religious and pious woman. The other was her nanny, a woman named Philippa of Catania. She was a passionate and sensual woman who taught Joanna that she was beautiful and she had feelings and desires and that no matter what scores of crusty old men said, there was nothing wrong with that. The Hungarian Angevins were not pleased about being cut out, so they put pressure on King Robert and finally he accepted to marry his now seven-year-old granddaughter to the King of Hungary's second son, Andrew. Before you start worrying, the groom was only one year older at the time. The wedding was a huge, sumptuous affair in true Neapolitan style. One of the many dishes 
were around 50,000 eels. The bride and groom enjoyed themselves very much, particularly their presence, but as the evening drew on, they started getting a bit tired and cranky and irritable as young children will, and were sent off to beddybys so that the rest of the guests could celebrate into the night. So starting the next day was the married life of Joanna of Naples and her hubby, Andrew of Anjou. The difference between the two characters could not have been greater. She was open, joyful, fun-loving and happy to make friends with anyone and everyone. Andrew was moody, touchy and with few friends as well as being made fun of quite a bit. As the girl became a teenager, under the guidance of Philippa, she discovered her beauty and sensuality, but also showed to be a good and intelligent student. She spoke the language of Provence, French, Italian and Latin. At the same time, she was also very modest. She was a girl who was being prepared to rule. So, there you had a young woman who was intelligent, educated, beautiful and sensual. Considering the ideas of society at her time and also many today, her reputation never stood a chance. As far as her marriage went, it was a relationship without love. On the 20th of January, 1343, when Joanna was 17 years old, her grandfather, King Robert of Naples, died and Joanna became queen. It seems that her marriage was consummated that same night. The couple would have their only child in 1345, called Charles Martel. The father, Andrew, would never get to see his son. Before we continue, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Roan. Roan is clothing that inspires men to live healthy, strong and free. Building best-in-class products is no easy task. In fact, it is a gruelling process of trial, error and at times, unexpected success. Roan worked tirelessly to ensure the products you order exceed expectations. Roan is clothing made for men, for everything from the gym to the office. We at A History of Italy are teaming up with Roan and Podgo to bring our listeners this exclusive offer of 25% off a pack of three Roan polo shirts, very fancy looking, by going to podgo.co slash Roan. That's R-H-O-N-E. That's podgo.co slash Roan, R-H-O-N-E, for 25% off a pack of three polos. Roan, clothing 
that helps you move forever forward. So, now we had a queen and a prince consort. As far as the Hungarian Angevins were concerned, that wasn't enough. Particularly for Andrew's brother, now King Louis of Hungary. They wanted Andrew to be a king. They sent the mother of Louis and Andrew to Naples with a nice wad of cash to try and grease the wheels a bit. The new young Queen Joanna did a rather good job at convincing her mother-in-law that Andrew would definitely get his crown and more importantly, Andrew was in no danger at all. Meanwhile, Joanna herself had to officially get her own crown when she turned 18. And that is where her character started to shine through. You see, the popes considered themselves the vassal overlords of the Kingdom of Naples, and so part of the ceremony would require Joanna to kneel before a papal representative and swear her oath of loyalty to her feudal overlord. The young 18-year-old woman categorically refused. She was queen and, as queen, would bow to no one. This institutional crisis lasted a few days before she finally gave in to reasons of state, but she had made her position clear. Her first big test as queen came along soon enough when on the 24th of November 1343 a devastating earthquake hit the area. Joanna could be seen among her people bringing comfort and aid and she had the court filled with tailors making clothes for the needy. Meanwhile, the relationship with her husband, which had never been great, worsened. He seemed to be doing all he could to alienate the Neapolitan barons, he grew more cold and distant from his wife. The first rumours of her having a lover started to surface. Things also started to get complicated in the Kingdom of Naples. The barons who had been part of the Regency Council that had taken Joanna up to her 18th birthday had had to give back the lands they had controlled during that time. If there's one thing that barons don't like, it's giving stuff back. The lands were full of brigands, causing all kinds of havoc. There were, as is often the case, various pretenders to Joanna's throne to fend off, and always there was the constant campaign of the Hungarians to get Andrew crowned as king. As well as putting pressure on Joanna herself, they were also petitioning the Pope with the help of loads of cash. Among all these problems, it seemed to Joanna the biggest and most immediate and annoying was her husband. Not only was he a thorn in her side, but also in the sides of those in Naples who did not want the Hungarian Angevins butting in on their operations and having other nobles coming in 
and claiming land and title. A solution needed to be found. On the 18th of September, 1345, the Queen and her consort went with their retinue to the country for a long and tiring day of hunting, after which they stopped off at their castle of Aversa. If you are one of those super attentive listeners and perhaps a big fan of the Normans, you may remember that Aversa was the first established holding of the Normans in southern Italy back when they were only just starting the foundation of the kingdom that Joanna now ruled over in part. Consider always that the Norman kingdom of Sicily included Sicily and southern Italy. Anyway, at the castle a great feast was held and then everyone retired to their chambers. The Queen and Andrew, as was often the case, separately. In the dead of night, there was a knock at Andrew's door, and he was told that an urgent message had arrived for him. Perhaps, he thought, it is the representatives of the Pope with the official go-ahead for his crowning as king. When he arrived in the hall, he was attacked and then strangled, possibly with a golden rope. His body was thrown out of the window with the intention of then going down and getting rid of it. But the scene was witnessed by a servant who screamed, alerting the castle to what was going on. The murder had been discovered. Andrew's Chamberlain was soon accused of being one of the main culprits and he confessed. After his confession, his tongue was ripped out, just in case he had something to say as he was led to his place of execution. Something to say such as the names of the others responsible and those who had commissioned the murder. Other culprits were later found. Among these was a pregnant woman who had her execution delayed until she could give birth. The sentence was then carried out. As Andrew's body lay in state, a ship arrived in the harbour of Naples. It was the delegation from the Pope, the permission for Andrew's crowning as king of the kingdom of Naples, had arrived. A crown was placed on his cold corpse. On Christmas Eve of that year, Joanna gave birth to her and Andrew's child, a son who was named Charles Martel, as we mentioned. Many were certain that those responsible for the death of the Queen's consort had not been brought to justice. Many also included the Queen herself among that number. As far as Andrew's brother, Louis of Hungary was concerned, there was only one main culprit, and no executions of chamberlains or minor players could appease him. Louis wanted revenge. Louis wanted revenge on Joanna. Thanks very much to you for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, 
starting from the first half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and that is Anthony G, Brian J, Carrie W, Celine, Chanel, Chris, David L, Dean V, Douglas, Federica R, Francisco A, Gabriel S, Greg, Ignacio, Il Valentino, James C, Jeff M, Jeffrey W, Joseph S, Juan D, Julia G, and Old John in Milwaukee. Obviously, thanks also to the tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level, Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M, Brandon S, Maxime, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, and Rinat M, and of course, Sen. Welcome, welcome, welcome aboard among those to Mark P, Gabriel S, Chris C, and Ian S. Thank you, thank you, and welcome to our little happy family. If you are so inclined, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com to ask a question, say hello, share some deep insight into the meaning of life, and so on. It's a bit of a slow period answering emails. Apologies to those who have written and not had an answer yet. I will get round to you. I have not eliminated your messages from my inbox and they will sit there and stare at me until I answer them and that is as it should be. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can head to the support page and join the ranks of the Patreon supporters and have access to extra content. I have just posted a new edition of the sketches, the sketches that you find at the end of some episodes isolated all for you and for your listening pleasure. You can also donate on PayPal or click through to our social media and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or consult timelines and maps to help navigate our country's complicated history. Remember to get your tickets for the Intelligent Speech Conference. I'll see you there and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. 
With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.